0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Start a Puzzle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I got to tell you, we... We have a very special sponsor today, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about them. The Economic Development Corporation of KC Moe is proud to support the dreamers and doers in our great city through a variety of programs, including Launch KC and KC Up. If you are in or around the Kansas City area, you can learn how they can help you launch by visiting edckc.com. And I gotta tell you, you know, the EDCKC, they, they do incredible work in the Kansas City community, but they also support some incredible entrepreneurs. Uh, as a reminder, this entire week, we are shining a light on the impactful work that is happening right here in Kansas City, thanks to the great people over at the EDCKC. Today, I actually have the the pleasure to speak with one of the founders in the Keystone Innovation Group Social Venture Studios, which is a collaboration with the EDCKC. And I, I am super excited, super proud to, to introduce you all to Chef Shanita. Chef is, I, I have followed her career for years now, um, watched her go from strength to strength and do just incredible things. Here in Kansas City, you're going to hear all about that. But Chef Shanita, she is the founder and executive director of The Prospect KC. She is a an influencer and a celebrity chef. And most importantly, I think these days, she is someone who is very, very dedicated to reducing food insecurity to making sure that people are empowered in their lives like she just she does incredible stuff so chef Shanita I I just want to tell you I am so glad to have you here on the show uh it is about damn time it's good to <laughs> see you my friend
1: <laughs> you too and I'm like I think I want to just take you with me so that you can do production everywhere.
0: Yeah, let's I, do the I, hype. Who is this girl? She's awesome. <laughs> Chef Shanita's amazing. Let me tell you. What. Well, actually, let's dig into that. Let's find out why you are so awesome. And I'm gonna let you take the reins, Chef Shanita. And I'm gonna ask you, tell us about your journey.
1: No, my journey. Your the journey. Old, so wiggly, forks in the turn. Just when I <laughs> have it figured out, I'm doing something else. Journey.
0: You've got Um, quite a story. Like we, we've talked about your story before. You've got quite a story.
1: I think the, the one, if there was one thing that I'd want people to kind of like key in on is that for the majority of my career in Joni, and I'm going to say 99.5% of that, I have been true to myself. And what I, you know, what I was passionate about and what I was going to do. There was like one tiny little moment where I kind of veered off and did what everybody else thought I should do. But once I gathered myself, I quickly, <laughs> quickly ended that and moved on to what worked best for me. Well, So,
0: so, so wait just a minute. I, I, I'm going to walk you back. You can't, you can't dangle a carrot like that and then just like pull it away and be like, nope, never mind. So, so talk to us about that piece of the journey. Like how did you come to be so strong and secure in yourself and what you're doing, uh, even in the face of, of adversity and, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of that self-doubt that one time you felt self-doubt. Talk to us about that.
1: So I am personality wise, what people would call I didn't know this is what it was called until recently. I used to say that I was an introvert who extroverted, but that's an ambivert. So I didn't know that. So I am an ambivert. And the reason why I feel like that that is uh, important is because we need a lot of solitude. And in that solitude, I get familiar with myself and my voice. So it really kind of helps be that like guiding star because I'm not you know, it's hard, it's easy for me, rather, to um, kind of decipher when I'm making a decision, what's me and what's other people, because I know me and my thoughts. You know
0: yourself so well that you're yeah. to yeah. you come from a position of, of knowledge.
1: About yeah. me and Fair. what I really, really, really want.
0: Well, so, so talk, about, talk about how you got to this place tactically. Because I know um, you're 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 a little famous. Not Actually, more really. than a little famous. But not go really. I don't want to make, make it so so feel awkward, and I know it makes it feel awkward. But you're famous. Uh, you're very talented, but you're very talented in a lot of different ways. But one specific way that I'm looking for. So tell us about tell us about your life and and how you. I thought. mean,
1: unlike a lot of people, I can honestly, honestly say, from the moment that I discovered great chefs when i was about 13 14 years old and i realized that you could make a career out of cooking and i didn't know how much money you made back then you know if i'm talking to mentees now i'm like are you guys on the department of labor website do you know what these careers make do you know what you know how much is going to cost you to get the education to do said career i didn't know any of that i just knew that you could make money doing it And I saw people doing it and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And then from that moment on, it was just me figuring out how that was going to happen. And of course, you know, you know that I talked about this a lot. My dad was there advising and supporting, but definitely not in the early, early stages. He wasn't overdoing, if that makes any sense. He really just kind of like, let me figure it out, but definitely was there as like a safety net in the event that something was gonna go awry or it didn't go out aw- away as I planned. So, um.
0: So he, he was there to support, but he also wanted to give you the autonomy and the experience to kind of le- find your own way. Is that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, two, I didn't even realize this. We could go back even further. You know, I didn't understand this really until the su- civil unrest that happened during the pandemic. So, when I was in sixth, seventh grade, we moved from Grandview to Johnson County. And when I say we moved to Johnson County, like we moved off of 149th and Schweitzer. There was nothing out there but farms and cows and two lane roads. And that took me, placed me into like a whole nother world where I spent from eighth grade, obviously, until I graduated, just really kind of learning how to navigate and, and, and deal with difficult things. Because yeah. just being the only, you know, like in my graduating class, I, I'm not joking with you, Lauren, this is 1997. I, I promise there was probably only 12 Black kids. And if I thought had enough coffee right now, I could probably think of everybody's names. But I can't think of them right now because I have not had enough caffeine. And well, so when
0: you, you kind of got taken out of, you know, yeah. a comfort zone and thrown yeah. into an environment that wasn't, you know, wasn't built for you. And was no. you weren't surrounded by people who who looked like you, maybe thought like you. Yeah. Uh, that had to have been really tough. And, you just- and then add one
1: more layer to that. I left from Christian school. To public school oh, so on top cool. of that, I was like off the charts I bet I left from Christian school to public school with kids who had more money than they knew what to do with who were doing all kinds of little shocking things from my little sheltered Christian school
0: yeah. so yeah all right so, so you're in this new environment you're in this new environment you have a supportive family who, who's yes. there if you need them but you're you're trying to forge ahead and move forward. What did you have to tell yourself, or what did you think to yourself to keep yourself moving and to keep yourself learning?
1: Well, I don't think I had to tell myself anything because from from eighth grade up until that point, I had been navigating difficult things. Yeah. So it, it was just like, and I don't want to say this to be like, oh, you know, I'm some type of anomaly or to minimize it. But at that point, it navigating difficult things had became become part for the course. Like that was just the way that it was gonna be. I had really gotten comfortable with the fact that I was not that girl that things just came easily to. It just wasn't in the cards for me. Yeah. If I wanted it it to happen, I was gonna have to thug that thing out. And that's just kind of the way, you know, that just became ingrained in my personality. I when things come easy, I'm almost distrusting, right? right? I'm just like, wait, what, okay. What's that
0: all about? You know, I get that. Cause you you don't, it's like, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like this is too easy. Yep. Yep. I tell, Oh man, I get that. I get that so hard.
1: And the hardest part about that is being an introvert, having to deal with things um, that have been difficult. And that makes it hard for you to have like personal relationships Yeah. because the things that people think are hard, you're just like, life is hard. Get over yourself. But you can't say that to people, right? You can't right. say that to people. But that's kind of how how it was. It was always difficult for me. And I just kind of learned how to, you know, grit, tough it out. I just learned how to thug it out. And and knowing that on the other side of that difficulty was exactly what I wanted and where I wanted to be. And if it wasn't, I wasn't afraid to be like, mm, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. Like. Yeah. People ask me all the time, and this is the one time where I alluded to where I didn't listen to my voice. Why did you close Magnolias on um, 99th and Home?
0: Well, real, real quick, Shanita, let's, let's do a little bit of background because I yeah. definitely want to hear this, but I also, I need to know what Magnolias is. So talk well, to us
1: talk from about culinary, that. From culinary school, then I hated cooking and took a break. And went and got my securities license and did securities for two years till like 2008. So I graduated, went to culinary school, didn't graduate. But that's a, a JUCO story. A lot of chefs that have gone to JUCO did not graduate because none of us did our logbooks. Anyways, um, that's... All that's right. right. <laughs> yeah, you have to get a... We'd have to get a whole bunch of chefs here and we'll all talk about why none of us have done our logbooks. But in <laughs> Then I was like, "Ah, I don't think I wanna cook anymore. And if you guys know what happened during Me Too and all of the food business, like I don't need to get into all that. That definitely played into why I did not wanna cook anymore. If you've ever seen The Color Purple, I definitely felt like Oprah's character and was like, you know, all my life I have to fight and I'm definitely tired of fighting. So I'm done with that. Did securities for a couple of years, the market crashed in um, 2008, and then I had to like reevaluate. And of course, this is also when I had my like quarter life crisis where I was like, I suck, you know, I haven't cured cancer, there's still world hunger, you know, people are still getting chronic illness and dying. Like, what have I been doing with my 28 years? I'm trash. And then my dad reminded me, well, you didn't even go to college for that. <laughs> so I don't know why you're still upset. How about if you do what you went to school for? Then that's kind of when I started my catering business. That grew to the first restaurant on 29th and Cherry, Magnolia's on 29th and Cherry, which then grew to Magnolia's on 99th and Holmes, um, which then grew to the food truck. Now, all the way through that process, up until we got to um, 99th and Holmes, I was very sure of myself and i knew exactly what i wanted to do and how it was going to happen yeah. and you know all all of those things i did all the work when we got to magnolias on homes that move came out of fear um because okay. on cherry my daughter was not was sick so i had to take some time off to just deal with her health this is the little one the little yeah. youngest one
0: is Dealing this the one that you health. do videos with
1: yeah Yep, it's
0: the one okay, I do. Chef Shanita does these really awesome videos on her social media with her and her daughter just cooking. And I, I love them so much. They make me so yes. happy. <laughs> so
1: that's, she was not well. And so it was a couple of years of just kind of dealing with her health. So then, you know, what I thought was a good opportunity, but honestly, I didn't do a lot of like due diligence. I was very tired. There was just a lot going on with her health and my life. Everything mm-hmm. was crazy. And so then it was like, well, people, and it was a time where people were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? When are you coming back? When are you going to cook? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I felt afraid that if I didn't make a move right now, then I would become irrelevant. People would forget about me and it would be like starting over. So I jumped into what I thought was a good opportunity, which turned out to be a disaster. And I I can't even, in, in, there was a lot of like contributing factors, but the main one and the only one that matters for the purposes of this podcast is that as an entrepreneur, I was not my best self. I was not my best chef in terms of creating and innovating and coming up with menu ideas. I was not my best, you know, sh- entrepreneur in terms of building a team and developing employees. Um, I was not the best like business owner in terms of like dealing with customer relations and all of the things that you need to do to build something successful. I just was not the best
0: at any of that. And so do you, do you when feel, I came wait, to wait, wait. Hey, chef, do you feel like maybe that was because like, it was the right opportunity. It was just the wrong time. Yep. yep.
1: Okay. <laughs> right opportunity, wrong time, wrong location, wrong landlord. Um, and it was, a, it was one, of, and I don't ever, there's lots of things that have happened in my journey that have been difficult. And people are like, man, if you could go back and do that over, would you do it? And all the times, except for this, I say, no, I I would definitely have kept those because uh, that's made me who I am. Yeah. But that particular time, if I could go back and change it, I would have said, no, I would have said no. And I would have stood on that. No and waited for the right opportunity to come along. So that's the one time in my career where I just did not trust my gut and I did something that I just shouldn't have done, you know, and I think we all, you know, as entrepreneurs, hopefully somebody who's listening to this will be like, yeah, either I'm in this situation like that or I just got out of that. or So this is like, hopefully- I'm sure that
0: it's going to resonate a ton because I mean, the fact is, I think the takeaway for our our folks listening at home is you don't always have to jump on every opportunity as it's presented to you. Like sometimes you need to be in the right place or the opportunity needs to bake some more. But one of the things that I've always loved about you, Shanita, is you do live in your truth. Like I've seen that about you. I've seen you get vocal at meetings and I've seen you, you know, advocate for your, this new thing that you're building with the prospect KC, like all of these things that they do, they're an extension of yourself and you're very authentic in who you are. And I think that our listeners can learn from that And so, you know, being authentic in yourself also means being uh, authentic in the choices that you make. And so sometimes just because something looks like really exciting and sexy and amazing doesn't mean that it's the right opportunity for you.
1: Yeah. And two, it's just owning that thing. I own that mistake A to Z. Yeah. And all of the crazy things that happen, like I said, there's other mitigating circumstances. I can't even blame it on those because I shouldn't have never been in there in the first place. Yeah. So those wouldn't have even had an opportunity to present themselves had I not even done it. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's it on that journey. It's just, you know,
0: Interesting. And I, I don't think I ever, I I don't think I ever knew the, that you had regret around. Oh yeah. Around and so, life. but here's, and then I'm going
1: to, you know, now we're here, we're at the prospect, right? And people don't understand how I got here. Well, eight, seven years before I even did this, I was introduced to the concept. But this is what I'm, that's what I'm saying like that. Seven years ago was not the time for me to do this. It was a seed that was planted in my mind when I was out in Seattle. And then the time opportunity presented itself in like five, six years later, where it was like, this is the time to do this. This is the the moment for this. Had I tried to do it when I thought it was a great idea in early 2000s? 2012 2013 that would have been the wrong time for that
0: well and you you probably would have would have failed again and and I'm gonna say like I mean I'm actually somebody who believes in failure like I know with 100 you don't even have to tell me but I know that your experience with the physical location of Magnolia like it wasn't the right time but you learned a ton from it like I just know that about you so so let's let's backtrack for just a second though and tell us what is the prospect.
1: So it's a social venture and I know social venturing and social entrepreneurship, that whole 501c3 and making money model is really hard for people here to understand. But like I said, I was introduced to this concept eight years ago. So what are we looking at? 2012, 2013 in Seattle. And they've been doing it in Seattle for almost 30 years. And we're a part of a member network where there's 68 other concepts like this. Where it's beautiful is that they coach us and support us into tailoring their programming to meet, meet our city's needs. So my social venture does not look like what's in New Orleans, does not look like what's in Boston, does not look like what's in New York or Seattle. It's, it's really tailor-made for Kansas City. And so when I, when I looked back on my experiences as an employer, I participated in every single workforce development program that there was, but I never left those relationships with the people that I employed for whatever their time period was, was it six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, whatever it was, I never felt like I did anything impactful to help those people reach that sustained economic mobility. So now I have this opportunity with the prospect to work on workforce development, to couple that with food access and nutritional literacy to other things that I'm very passionate about and, and create a whole ecosystem that kind of helps support and bring people together and through a lens of like health equity, right? We're using food as a vehicle to change the landscapes of a person's life, which then changes the landscape of a community. And that that's the whole, you know, if, if I just, as the young kids said, if I dropped the mic, that's, that would be where I dropped it. That's really what it is. And I, and I think that when people look at what we do with the barrier assessment, that's what we do. We have a barrier assessment where we're really looking at what is Lauren's barrier? What is this thing that's keeping Lauren in this cycle? And let's address that. We're going to train her. We're going to support her. But we're also going to help Lauren address this thing. Is it yeah. housing? Is it mental illness? Is it drug addiction? Is it domestic violence? Is it lack of childcare? Whatever that thing is, let's work on that. So that way, once I get you trained, you can get into your employment and sustain yourself and not be back at another person's program in six months or 10 months or whatever, starting this cycle all over again. That, right. hopefully that makes sense
0: well yeah so so it's kind of the the give a man a fish model like you you're not just you're not just giving people fish to feed no. themselves. you're giving you're empowering them with tools and resources and and support so you're you're teaching a man to fish but I almost feel like you're going beyond. it's like you're teaching a man to fish and to build a house and to well here's the thing the <laughs>
1: I'm teaching a man to fish, but let me tell you where my position is. I'm in the water with you. Yeah. Oh, Next I love that. I'm not teaching you to fish from the shore. Like, you know, hollering, okay, throw it out there. You did? You get anything? No, I'm going to show you how to put the bait on. I'm going to show you how to, you know, cast your reel. I'm going to show you how to take it off the hook. I'm going to show you how to clean it up. I'm going to show you how to cook it up. Instead of me just, and a lot of this approach with this work, is very pogoed, um, if, if, if people deal with housing, they only want to deal with housing. If people deal with uh, mental illness, they only want to deal with mental illness. And that's cool, but sometimes these things are not a, a, a pogo, they're like a chair, and you got to address all of the legs so that people can be sustained. If you only work on one leg and the other three are wobbly, <laughs> then it does, working on that one leg is for naught. It's it's not going to sustain people. It doesn't change the landscape of, of a community. This, and this, Lauren, was my argument when we were kind of working with the plan for unhoused, right? Yeah. It, it's, that's a, it's a mental issue. It's not a physicality thing. And so the approach is, we just need to get people housing vouchers, and we just need to get them housed. Well, then you go talk to other departments, or apartments or other neighborhood associations or codes violation. And guess who are the people who are violating and their trash is not taken out and the lawn is mowed or the apartment is trashed. It's it's the people who are not used to the structure of living in a home, right? Because we didn't help them understand what that responsibility looks like and we didn't support them through it. We said, you don't have a house here, have a house. Yeah. Pat ourselves on the back and then moved on. Or we said, you don't have any food. Here's some produce boxes. Pat ourselves on the back and move on. Did we consider that maybe Lauren doesn't have a stove? Right. Maybe Lauren doesn't know how to cook. Maybe Lauren doesn't have pots and pans. So
0: So you're, so you're taking, you're taking a holistic view. Yeah. Of, of food and empowerment. Like, it's, it's really incredible. And yeah. it, it's certainly one of the reasons that you were selected to be one of the economic development corporation of Casey Moe's uh, Social Venture Studio. You're in right. the first inaugural cohort for those of you who don't know the economic development corporation of Kansas City Missouri uh, they they do a lot of work around workforce development and economic development and they they bring exciting projects here to Kansas City and we we just love and adore the work that they do just keep in mind folks you can learn more at edckc.com they their whole tagline is let's grow kcmo and that that's their 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 ethos. It's, it represents how they work with businesses, large, small, just starting out. Uh, They're trying to attract talent to our city and they're trying to make Kansas city a really fantastic place to work, live and play. And and we just love that about them. But talk to us a little bit about the social venture studio that you are taking part in right now. Cause it sounds super exciting. I have to admit, I was really really thrilled because All of the the female founders who are involved are innovators, of course. Uh, I got super excited, but I got really excited when I saw you because I've just seen this evolution of the prospect. Uh, I mean, you and I have known each other since before the prospect was even an idea, I think. Yes,
1: way before. Yeah. I, probably had, I probably knew about it, but I was just in my mind, I was like, man, that'd be neat to do here. And that was kind of where that yeah, thought but
0: went. like I've watched the evolution of you as a leader and the organization that you're building and the the people that you're helping. And it's just been really, really awesome. So so Social Venture Studio is, is set to help you with that, right? To help you yes. out.
1: Yeah, it helps me with that. It's also kind of, you know, making the ambivert, the introvert self me even more ambivert. I think that Kevin McGuinness's goal is to turn me into a full-fledged extrovert. Wait, wait,
0: wait. Do you think he's going to do it? Do you
1: think he's going to be able to do it? <laughs> no. No, and if he's listening... He's gonna be disappointed, but it's not happening, Kevin.
0: All right. I, I'm actually gonna tell him. I I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna hop off this and I'm gonna text him and just be like, you're not doing it, you're not messing with Shanita, man. <laughs> I think and he hasn't said it
1: out loud, but I honestly feel like he's trying to turn me into an extrovert. Um, but that this is the thing. It's it's one of those things where they understand the social venture and really having that mission. That, that is more powerful than your profit. But they, they, they also encouraged me to do what I was doing initially, but then got told by like the nonprofit world, you're thinking about this too much like a business. So they really are kind of supporting me and helping me to lean back into that business side of it. Yeah. But not so much to the point where we lose the passion for the mission, but really by having that business structure, it's going to enhance the mission and that that purpose and supporting us in that, and so it's been a it's been a ride for sure a lot of classes and workshops that just kind of really cause you to take time and this is like the the curse of every entrepreneur right I, I we can't do our jobs because we're too busy doing our jobs
0: right what, so it, it, it's it's same, it, like you're always working in the business, not on the back.
1: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You can't do I, I your did that
0: too. Like day to day you have to you have to handle like the minutia and the operations and so when it comes time for like that visionary piece that's always the first thing that gets cut for me. Yep. When I when I don't have time, I'm like, all right, these are the tactical things that I have to do to keep the lights on, and then over here, all of the philosophical, ethical, you know, visionary choices that I have to make as for the as far as the direction of our of this company, of this movement, you know, it's it's really difficult find, carving out time to work on the work, quote unquote.
1: <laughs> yes, but this makes you work on the work, and then there's accountability. Yeah. Working on the work because you have to do
0: it. Well, and I mean, they've put together an incredible cohort. I mean, you know, just nonprofit leaders and and impact organization leaders from all across Kansas city that are just doing amazing work. So I imagine getting to pick their brains is probably pretty, pretty helpful as well. Right.
1: (laughs) Yes. And in knowing that um, you're not alone in this and sometimes Because again, that I like solitude, and then when you spend too much time by yourself, you start to think like these problems are exclusive to me. Right? (laughs) Once you like around other people, you realize oh, they're not exclusive to me. Other people have the same issues too. So I just need to chill out, which is something that my therapist tells me all the time. I have these unreasonable um, personal expectations. (laughs)
0: I don't know. I don't know about I definitely have high standards, but <laughs> I I gonna go ahead and I'm going to give a little bit of a side eye to your therapist, but
1: well, remember I said when I was 28, I had a whole meltdown because I just felt like I sucked because I hadn't like, you know, done all these grandiose things by 28. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you are never alone. I am always here. I'm just telling you that right now. Uh, and I, I know, know you mean that too. I do, I really do. I well so so for folks at home, y'all don't know this, but Shanita and I actually belong to a it's a mastermind for impact organizations and nonprofits. And I mean you're you when you contribute, like I just love listening to your insights and your thoughts on things. Like you're so you're so passionate and you're so keyed in on your purpose. Uh, it's one it's actually one of my favorite things about that whole Uh, our our monthly meetings is getting to hear Shanita share her story and share her thoughts. Um, So, so what are, what are next steps for, for the prospect? Like, what are you, now that you've you're in social venture studio, what's the next step? Well, next steps is
1: getting our actual training facility opening. Like right. The last year we have been training at partner organizations. And so it'll be nice to be in our own space Oh, so sure. that people can like come and see what this social venture situation looks like. And so, yeah, we're hoping that that happens soon, soon and very soon.
0: Yeah. Well, and you got some, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, and I can't remember the particulars, but I remember we did an announcement and I got all excited because you, you actually brought in some significant funding, I believe from the Kaufman foundation. Is that,
1: is that yep. right? Yeah. foundation. Um, Hall Foundation, um, Health Forward. Oh yeah, um, Cerner, and um, the City of Kansas City, Missouri. So there are some people other than myself who understand that this holistic approach is is really what will make this impactful change that we've all been talking about. Right. right. It's like, okay, how can we get to a point where we're like we're seeing. The, some long-term fruit from all this effort.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I know that Kansas City is just raring to go on that. Can't wait to get into the new facility. When we, when we talk about all of these organizations and like the Coffin Foundation, that's a global organization, Health Forward is extremely well known here in the Kansas City area for funding projects that, that speak to public health. And uh, to, But talk to us about food insecurity, because that's, that's, I feel like that's kind of your starting point for the prospect, Casey. Like, I know that you've done a lot of yeah. work. You, you've advocated for policy and things like that around food insecurity and access. But then you've built that. That's kind of the foundation. And then you have this pyramid of or a funnel even of this is how we can help. You know, we're going to help food insecurity. We're going to address uh, job insecurity. We're going to empower folks. So, so talk to us about the landscape of the problem. The prospect KC tries to solve. Like, what
1: the so does- food for us is like the $4 chicken at the big box, big box bulk stores, right? Yeah. You know good and well that chicken does not cost $4 because when you try to buy one uncooked, it's like $12, 13 or $14. So, how in the world are they selling me a $4, a $4, chicken, $4 yeah. chicken? They're not. They're selling you all the other stuff that's going on in there right right using the chicken to get you to come in there so you can learn about all their other features and benefits and it's the same way with us we have the food we have the food-based programs but that's really how you get it's a way to get people to come in it's a way to build community it's a way to develop relationship and it's a way to kind of get people to let their guards down so that you can get down to the nitty-gritty and yes we need um Access, and we're tr- we're doing that with our small grocer that we'll have in there. But we also need to build community, and we also need to uh, kind of get people to to let their guard down so that they can talk to each yeah. other or talk to us. It's gonna it's not gonna be an easy feat if we're just like, hey, come sign up for our program. People will be able to come in there and see what it looks like, what it feels right. like, and then they're also you know getting something that's healthy for their body and their family. So the the bonus is you also get something pretty amazing to eat that you don't already have readily available. And using this model, it will also help us to dispel all these myths about you can't have, you know, nice things in certain parts of town because people don't spend money. That's not true. It's not true. And we've got to stop accepting that as the reason why we decide not to put nice things. Now, should okay. a grocery store that carries affordable uh, and healthy food be a nice thing? No, it shouldn't. But the way the current system is set up, it is. And it's not right. a nice it's, thing. It's a that, luxury when it should be a necessity. Yeah. it's People treat it like a luxury item. And when you live in certain zip codes, they're like, "Oh, it's oh, we've got to have this." Certain zip codes of town, it's a necessity. Certain zip codes of town, it's a luxury. So it's got to be equitable for everybody. Right? And food is a necessity.
0: Right. No I, I often wonder at folks who 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 don't see that. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> we we actually need it to survive. This is not like just a fun thing.
1: <laughs> no, no. And then too, when you Post survival when you look at there's lots of studies that talk about crime can be um can be li- linked back to food insecurity right behavior problems can be linked back to food insecurity or food, food nutrition, not knowing what to eat, when to eat, and how these types of foods affect your body yeah you know so it's there's more to it and there's layers to it, and I think that you know I'm hoping what our goal is let's say this is to really cause people to sit down and think this thing through and have the tough, difficult conversations that they just don't like having, which is why I do not allow people to refer to them as deserts. Because in most instances, Lauren, you and I are not going to get off this podcast and go dig up a desert somewhere in Kansas City, Missouri. Like That's just not going to happen, right? For the most part, they're naturally occurring or some type of like, ecological system this thing has happened to make said thing a desert right when when we use the word desert when it turns to food it makes you feel like it's hopeless and there's literally nothing we can do about it when it's absolute that's it's that's just the furthest thing not
0: not only that like on the back I think it's really important to note that on the back end there are always things that we can do about it but I also as you're talking I'm like huh what it, it also kind of minimizes the work that it took to get here. Like yes. we are talking about things like uh, historic systemic barriers and, yes. you know, redlining and like all yes. of these things that have contributed to creating these pockets of geography that don't have access to safe nutritious food. Right. So, so, it, so you're involving yourself of responsibility on the front end and then yes. on the back end, you're just like, well, nothing we can do about it. So, so I actually, I, I've never heard that, Shanita. but I, It's like I... the
1: perception of it. You just said yeah. those historical systemic themes. And so there's certain times in history, and even just Kansas City history, where they like to use black and white photos. But I know that those things have taken place in my parents' lifetime, right? Yeah. And I have colored photos of my parents right. <laughs> during said time period. So why are we using black and white photos? Because we
0: want to distance ourselves from these awful things that are happening. Saying, "Well, hey, if it happened before color photography, you know, it happened so long ago." Yes. In fact, like we're we're just creating a narrative. Like, and honestly, like I feel like anybody who's in an impact organization understands that ninety percent of the narratives that we tell ourselves about societal issues and barriers and access it's bullshit. You know, we're telling ourselves these stories, but we're not really, we're not telling ourselves the real story. And if we don't tell ourselves the real story, we can't actually fix the problem because we're not addressing the right issues. Right? Yeah, that's, that's it. And,
1: and, and when we make it hopeless or seem beyond our control, there's another little thing that we can do. We can congratulate ourselves for menial, minuscule yeah, for the bare minimum. We can be like, oh, look what we did. We gave out a whole
0: bunch of boxes of free food. Yeah. Yay for us. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, and we're, we're running a little short on time, but I think that this is a really, really important question to ask you specifically, Chef Shanita. I'm going to ask you, what can we do? You know, not our listeners, not all of our listeners are going to be starting up impact organizations that address food insecurity. We're not all going to be putting together workforce development measures to, you know, help bridge some of these accessibility gaps and knowledge gaps. So talk to me, what can we do? Like, what can Lauren Conway do? What can our listeners do to help address some of these issues that you're talking about? And that's a huge question, I know. Yeah, but it's an easy
1: answer. That's really hard. Ooh,
0: we, okay. we okay. have
1: to check our perspective. Our perspective. People make decisions and form their views on things based on their perspective. So when Lauren is having a conversation about food access or imp- employment issues or ho- unhouselessness, Lauren has got to check her perspective. Because Lauren is not dealing with food insecurity. She's not dealing with unhouselessness. She's not dealing with um, any of those other issues. So when you get to participate in a conversation, you're going to have to challenge yourself to think about this from the perspective of someone who would have to deal with it. Not from the perspective of me who drove in from at the time now, I, don't, I live in the city now. Who drove in from the suburbs and passed fifteen hundred eleven grocery stores on my way here?
0: Right, I can't well, look at it in that, that way. That also involves, and this is this is something that you and I have have actually talked about. But that also involves. It, it's not just seeing things from the perspective of those individuals, but it's it's asking those individuals, like, hey. You know, having the self-awareness to realize that like, hey, maybe I'm not the best person to solve this problem. And what I need to do is I need to find people who can come up with actionable solutions who have been experiencing this. How can I support them? Right? Right.
1: And when you another way, is the same as when I tell you what my lived experience is. Don't challenge me on that. Right. Because again, your, your, your response is coming from your perspective. Don't right. challenge me and don't challenge people who are closest to these problems about their lived experiences. You don't know what that's like. You know, I was a single teenage mom. You can't tell me what that's like unless you've been a single teenage mom. Yeah, you, you don't can, get to have an opinion.
0: You can't empathize if you yeah. haven't experienced that yourself for sure. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I I knew that this was going to be a good one. I I, I always love talking with you. I always kind of leave. I always leave feeling like I'm fired up.
1: (laughs) Why do you you think that is? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's the like, I don't know.
0: I don't don't know (laughs) either, but I I always feel fired up when I talk to you. I hope our listeners feel fired up as well. And I do have a human question for you. Okay. Actually, I, I, I am going to let uh, what you do inform us just a little bit, because I'm going to ask you, what would you want to eat for your last meal? Mm. Food, food, food. damn good steak. Okay, cooked medium, medium rare, like. I want medium to me. rare yes medium rare that's my girl if you're cooking your meat <laughs> brother, medium rare don't we're not friends like don't yeah, go out to medium I, know, meat. I know like oh god okay so I I have a friend who she always eats her steaks well done and I'm just girl like, I would buy like, her a, hamburger. Wait, you Get you a hamburger think about her I'm like no don't do that that's bad you're basically eating shoe leather why After
1: that you're making my food come out late so they can burn your steak get you a hamburger
0: so that the rest of us can eat our food in a timely right, fashion please. i feel like that's a really good takeaway for our friends as well don't order order your steaks meet anything above medium let's just say that i'm okay i think yeah. i'm okay with medium maybe sort of yeah but medium well and well done you i if i'm
1: with you i will tell the server hey i'm not waiting on her you just break my food out. Okay, because I will be eaten and paid by the time your food comes. That is
0: too funny. Well well, I love that. And I, I gotta tell you, friend, I would love to take you out for a steak anytime. Yay! Uh let's do that for sure. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us here on the show. Uh we've actually done this before for the Innovator Podcast. Uh, but it was good to check back in for sure. But I don't even know if you remember, but years ago before I was on Startup, we did this. And it was just as fun the second time. So thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you, Lauren. You know,
1: I do. And I'm so glad you guys had me. Hopefully uh, you're not the only person who gets fired up from this.
0: I, I I hope the same. And I encourage our listeners, just get fired up, get fired up. You just heard some amazing things from an amazing chef and human being and, you know, get fired up. Uh, we are also here at Startup Hustle. We're very, very Fired up about the Economic Development Corporation of KC Mo. You see how I did that? Uh, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by the EDC, KC. If you are in the Kansas City area go and check out, find out who your business development offer, officer is at edckc.com. We want you to encourage, or we're encouraging you to connect with the folks out there making a big difference in our business community. Like I said, they're they're bringing opportunity to Kansas City. They're putting a spotlight on Kansas City. They're, they're driving economic growth. They're doing some amazing work and they can help you. So we invite you to check them out, edckc.com. Also want to just Give a quick shout out to all of those Social Venture Studio cohorts. Uh, This week, we are shining a light on the impactful work happening here in Kansas City. And we have the we have the pleasure to speak with Shanita. She's one of the Keystone Innovation Group Social Venture Studios. There are other amazing impact uh, entrepreneurs and impact founders in this group. So definitely check them out friends every week we we love it when you come back and listen to us we love sharing the stories of entrepreneurs and we want to keep doing that with you so keep on coming back and we will catch you on the flip side startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button then come find us on instagram see you next time (laughs)